Welcome or welcome back to the Movie Going Podcast, episode two, Movies We've Changed Our Minds On. This is a really exciting episode. I'm really excited to dive deep into it. But as you all know, it's always a party around here when we have my co-host, Luke Ponto. What's going on, dude? How are you? I'm doing great, Frisky. You are the man, like always. So thank you so much. I'm... I'm ready to talk to, to, about this because this will. That I wanted to say this really quick before we continue. Warning, ladies and gentlemen, this list will contain hot takes. Yeah, I think I. So okay, the only one who knows every single movie we're going to talk about is me, and I know there's at least one movie for all of us here that's going to hurt some feelings. We'll, but but we're not we're not going to talk about that too much. We'll see when we get there. But right. <clears throat> This obviously is a very heavyweight topic, as you said. So I had to pull someone out of the hat for our guest today. It is yet another Zach. He is no stranger to us, but he is a first time to this channel and this podcast. And I couldn't have been any more happy to bring him on. He's literally the sweetest guy I know. Awesome fella. And he has an awesome show that he does that it's I'm always in there. It's always a blast to watch. And also he's all around just awesome. So welcome Zach. Moon! What's going on? I am ready to get my feelings hurt. What's going on? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm doing well, man. That was a very sweet intro. Thank you so much, man. That, that, that meant a lot. Oh, no problem. <laughs> you deserve yes. it. You deserve it. But how how is everyone doing this fine evening? Good. It's 2024. I don't think we've addressed that yet. Yes. The whole that's, new that's year. Right. Soon, you guys. <laughs> and I'm going to actually kick this off. I'm with the taste test. I've never had this. Mountain Dew. Oh, glare. Mountain Dew Frostbite. Let's see what the hell this is all about. Okay, that is... It's like a step off from Voltage. It's like Voltage, but not as good. There's your sponsorship, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Pepsi, <laughs> Mountain Dew, gotcha. So the and way we're going to... And yes, water. So the way uh, we sponsor H2O. So <laughs> the way we're going to go about this one is this is, as said, movies we've changed our minds on. We're going to talk about six films total. Three films are ones that we... Uh, at first we enjoyed, but learned to not really care for as much and vice versa the other way around. We're going to, however, start, if I could pull this up here, we're going to start with ones that we enjoyed first, but they didn't quite age well. So we're, we always let the guests go first. So Zach, my friend, would you mind to tell us a film that you loved once? but no longer. Yeah. Um, first of all, this list was one of the hardest lists I've ever had to make. I do not have many examples of either of these. I'm usually pretty, pretty firm in my thoughts and opinions. And sometimes they sway a little bit more when I watch us in a second time, but for the most part, they usually remain the same here and there. Um, but a couple did start to come to mind when I really dug deep and thought about it. And I was trying to get away from like the real young childhood stuff like Barney, like obviously uh, you outgrow things. That's a little bit of a different question, <laughs> but <laughs> one, one movie that did pop up that I was like, I did like that. And since I've watched it 
after the theaters, I have not liked it as much. And that's Dumb and Dumber 2. And uh, that's T.O. Uh, Dumb and Dumber 2. The funniest part of the movie. Um, <laughs> no, <but> like, <laughs> that, that was a little bit of a jab. I, I do find parts of this movie funny. But this came out at a time. This was 2014. Um, I just turned 15 and I just gotten into Jim Carrey. Like I was diving deep into all of his stuff, especially his comedies. And I had like just seen Dumb and Dumber like the previous year. So I felt like I kind of made the universe create this. Sorry if that is the case to everyone who had to watch it. But I, I watched Dumb and Dumber. And then I felt like they made this for me because I wanted more Jim Carrey and I wanted more Dumb and Dumber. So I went to the theater and I went to see this. And uh, I drank the Kool-Aid. I, I, I told myself I really enjoyed it. I liked seeing the characters back on screen. I do think there are some funny bits throughout that get me to chuckle. But watching it again, and I think it was probably around the fourth time that I viewed it, I just realized it the magic that I'm trying to convince myself is there is not there. They did not recapture what made the first so great. Because in the first Dumb and Dumber, Lloyd and Harry are stupid, but they're also real people. They have moments of real like friendship, and you can kind of see them as people you might see in life even though they're a little bit more exaggerated whereas in dumb and dumber 2 they are just full-on cartoon characters they have no sense of morality they have no sense of of any common sense and there's no moment in the film where you feel like these are real people it feels like jim carrey and jeff daniels taking the architect of what lloyd and and uh oh, what's his name lloyd and uh Jeff Harry. Daniel, Harry, thank you. Thank you. I don't know why I blanked on that. Uh, but, <laughs> like if you were to break down on paper in like a few sentences of what Lloyd and Harry are, it feels like that's how they played to them. But with any of the, for lack of a better word, depth that might have been there. Also, in the first film, it feels like they're in a real world. You, it feels more dirty. It, when they're on the road, you feel like they're on the road. There is something about this movie where it looks like someone came in with the biggest leaf blower in the world, cleaned out every environment so that these actors are fresh and clean the entire movie. Everything from their wardrobe to the environment to the vehicles to everything. It just looks way too clean and has this artificial fakeness to everything. And worst of all, the jokes are just not as clever as in the first one. They 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 didn't play the dumbness cleverly. They just played it dumb. And when you just play dumb, dumb, that's where it really lost lost it for me. And and it's creepy. They're like sixty years old, and Lloyd's falling in love with a twenty year old daughter of Harry's that they're trying to go find. And there's just no way to make that not creepy and gross and they come off as complete imbeciles and completely more childish than they did in the first one uh it just misses the mark on every level yeah totally fair man it's kind of it's such a paradox honestly if you have a film's humor that is intentionally dumb but you're dumb enough to make the dumb not dumb and where it's just really dumb yeah <laughs> you, right? you use like, dumb with you use dumb like five times of that one sentence that was the that was the idea <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i mean i've never seen the second one but i i heard for the most part it's not the 
best received film out there. Would you say this is definitely a movie that did not need a sequel? I think there was a way to do a sequel. Uh, that's that's is that is a phrase that I feel is a little bit overused because I think you can argue that there's many movies that don't need a sequel. But if the sequel turns out great, then we don't say that about that franchise. It's only when the sequel turns out bad that we're like, you don't need a sequel. I think they could have done a sequel to this, but they just made all the wrong decisions. This kind of feels like friends who got together, made something that in like to them and in their group was really, really funny and had a lot of inside jokes that they had. But when you present that to an audience, that's not within your friend group, it's, you just don't get the same inside humor that they have. And you're just kind of sitting there like, okay, this is just weird guys. Why'd you decide to do this? (laughs) This, this feels like the friends from high school that you haven't seen in like 20 years. And when you reunite with them, you're like, Oh, you guys haven't changed at all. And that's actually kind of sad in the worst ways. <laughs> that's kind of how it feels going back to this one. To the point where it's kind of embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. There's just no growth. Totally get it, my dude. No. Oh. I all salute right. you for it. Yeah. 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 No, it doesn't sound like one I'm going to check out anytime soon. I think I'm okay like I did say, it. though, there are a couple funny bits. I wouldn't necessarily say that they're worth the whole movie. But there are a couple moments in this that that are funny. I can admit that. But the movie as a whole, uh, not recommending it. No. As a whole picture. Yeah. Yeah. I'll gladly stick with the original. (laughs) But yeah. All right. Dumb and Dumber 2. A movie I will gladly avoid. All right. Ponto Toronto. What'd you tell Uh us? (laughs) What'd you tell us your pick? Okay. Let me just uh, clear this up from the forefront. I've only watched this movie one time, but I've seen clips of it multiple times. So that's kind of what made me hate the 2022 Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This film, I don't know. I don't know what I was on the first time I watched this film. I was just kind of in the mood for something dumb, something fun. And I watched this one really early in the morning before I went to work. So I was kind of on a high by then. So. Or delirious. (laughs) <laughs> depending on how early it was <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> well how and early was it it was like five in the morning like oh yeah that can be delirious that's pretty early but that was before but that was before now that i had to get up at 4 45 in the morning so moving on um Anyways, so yeah, this film, the characters are awful in this film, and they're so idiotic. They're social media influencers that you cannot latch onto in the slightest. They're basically not only the most unlikable people, but they are the dumbest people to ever walk the planet. And bringing back the original character from the first film, uh, somebody please help me. Sally, is it? Sally, Sally. Yeah, bringing back Sally from the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, I thought was a huge mistake because they did not do anything with her. It's the same thing that I feel about with Exorcist Believer. Bringing back um, Chris McNeil for only 10 minutes was a huge mistake because Ellen Burstyn did not want anything to do with that film. Which in this case, this film had a lot of production problems. But is that going to make me give it a pass? hell to the no because this film is an apps 
let me give you this. The only reason why I don't think this film is an absolute disaster, some of the kills I actually thought were pretty creative. Like, I'll give it credit for that. Like, there is some good kills. Other than that, nothing. It's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I couldn't even hear the name without booing. Like, I, I genuinely hate this movie. <laughs> I am right there with you. I, I personally, I did not oh. even like it the first time. I saw, oh, sorry, go, go ahead. I was going to say, also, can, can I speak on the, on the look of Leatherface in this movie? He, he looks like a homeless man. <laughs> Absolutely, he does. Oh, he, like if you look like um, Britsky, do you got another uh, poster you can pull up for Texas Chainsaw? Uh, I can. Give me a second. Here we go. Look at this guy. Look at this guy. I'd give him a dollar. Oh. oh dear goodness. And. Zach, now do you see my point? Why I think he looks like a homeless man? He truly does. I mean, oh, this is the worst one right here. This is the worst one. <laughs> that's horrible. And <laughs> that's to quote horrible. Um, the scene, and to quote that scene, try anything in your cancel, bro. Some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in my entire life. If if there was ever a Razzie I could give for worst script of all time. Ding, 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 ding. Wow. I'm not, that's actually, I, I kind of have to applaud you there because I, oh, wow. I actually respect that so much for worst screenplay of all time. It sucks. It, it genuinely really sucks. <laughs> uh, like, like, let me get this straight. There's worse films out there than this movie. Like, let me just get that straight. There's way worse films than this. But I'm talking dialogue wise. Even though Jeepers Creepers Reborn may have worse dialogue, this film's dialogue is just, unforgivable like, it's very cringy and, and it just makes you just want to go it's like you want to go <laughs> just, just punch <laughs> holes in the screen like legitimately honestly i'm not a fan of the franchise in general I, I i i like the first one is obviously my favorite and i do enjoy the second one for you know what kind of film it is the second one's all right I, I know you're not as big on the second one i know you like some of the other entries a little more but yeah, this is easily some of the bottom of the barrel of, the, of an already pretty not great franchise. And I was so mad because look at this poster. This poster looked awesome when it first what came out. What is it? Uh, that's it. That's uh, like an abstract picture of his mask. And I was oh, like, yeah, I uh -huh. thought it was a mountain. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like, a, like the woods and a mountain in the background. But I also want to point out, like, um, and also, plus, if you guys don't know anything about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, when it comes to Leatherface, his name is Leatherface because he wears um, a mask that's made of human skin. So he decides to take human the, the face of a, of a human homeless man is basically what happens in this one. He takes the face of a homeless man and wears it as his mask. Oh. The, no, it's literally the stupidest movie ever, dude. I mean... The dialogue, as you said, is very cringe. There's so many pieces of logic that just—it's uh, not even oh, it's just a movie or oh, is it? No, it, it genuinely—it's it, so stupid that you can't shake it off. I'm right. I'm right there with you, dude. I hate this movie. It genuinely—I can't even think about it without getting mad. Ugh. Moving on into mine, I have a film. This one probably is a little bit of a hot take. 
well, to some people, but to others, maybe not. Star Wars The Last Jedi. I know that I'm going to have some people who disagree with me strongly on this one, but let me explain myself. So I'm not nearly as much of a Star Wars fan as I was back in the day. Let me just clarify that. I mean, obviously, A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back are where it's at, and then Revenge of the Sith and Return of the Jedi are also good. But when I was more diehard of a fan, this movie, I remember being really excited for it because I believe Rogue One came out in between seven and this one, correct? I believe I believe that. Yes, was- it did. Yep. Yes. Okay. So I was like, you know, I enjoyed seven for what it was. Rogue One was I, I really liked that one too. And I was like, okay, we got something going here. And I remember this is the first time where I was kind of, uh, how do I say this? When I was kind of fogged by a cloud of, oh, because it's Star Wars, I have to like it. And I was feeling this kind of, uh, I, I felt like I was wearing a mask this entire movie. Like, yeah, I like this. I like this. And deep down inside, I knew something was just missing. And my friends and I, we, you know, we enjoyed our time at the theater. And I will say that. Uh, it, it was fun little outing with my friends when I did watch this film for the first time. But I remember as time just went on, I thought to myself, okay, people clearly have a point when they say that Force Awakens very much so is a little too similar to A New Hope in a number of ways. And to this day, I still agree with that, but I still like Force Awakens for what it is. But the problem with The Last Jedi is at the time, The Empire Strikes Back was not only my favorite Star Wars film, but my favorite movie. Not the case anymore for either, but The Empire Strikes Back was my very favorite. And I think that repeated formula, sure, there are enough things that the movie tweaks and changes, but however, I think you can only get away with that once especially for a big franchise like this. And this is where I started to see, uh, you can even make the argument that force awakens as time has gone on and hasn't aged as well as some of some of the other star Wars films. But this is the first one where I really felt the sequels going downhill. And this is kind of my bigger hot take about the sequels. I actually do not hate, uh, what, what's the last one? Uh, what, what's episode nine? Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. I actually do not hate Rise of Skywalker because I got all that out, all that anger and frustration out watching this one. <laughs> and so by the time we have space horses and resurrected Palpatine, I'm like, I was already so pissed off that this is just stupidly fun. <laughs> like, this is not a great movie, but it's entertaining. And, you know, so either way, though, The Last Jedi, eh, there was just so much I was looking forward to in this film. And again, to be fair, it's kind of in a way interesting the way it's directed that it managed to be unconventional in a number of ways, but I did not like what they did with Luke. Uh, I I did not enjoy his character at all in this film. Uh, This is the only of the main nine where there's not a real lightsaber fight. And uh, I mean, that's the best part of every Star Wars film uh, when with the main nine, should I say, is 
the lightsaber sequence. It's literally my favorite part of every single Star Wars film in the Skywalker saga. And this yeah. is the only one that does not have a real one. And then what's his name? The old fucker in the seat. What's his goddamn name? Snoke. Snoke. Oh my gosh. Most underused. Talk about what could have been great potential. They hyped him up to hell and back in Force Awakens. And then he's just this grumpy ass old grandpa who just barks from a little seat. And it was like, okay, this is it. And then I thought it was going to lead up to something epic in episode nine, but nope, that's it. And it was just, I don't know. It was just so frustrating and I could go on and on, but uh, the humor I thought was stupid. Uh, The thing with Leia is just so hilarious. Like she's, she's floating in space and then like, what the hell? (laughs) Yeah. Just, I don't know. I could go on and on, but this is easily my least favorite star Wars film not because it's the worst made one kind of like what luke was saying about texas chainsaw there's much worse films out there there's worse made star wars films out there but when we're talking about subjectively easily my least favorite just because it frustrates me i can relate man i agree i was very conflicted with last jedi when i left the theater because there were things i liked in it and there were things that i really didn't like in it and i didn't really know where i landed on it uh it took a couple rewatches and I still, I, I lean more to not liking it and liking it. There's still some aspects of it that I kind of enjoy. But for the most part, I think the biggest problem with The Last Jedi is Ryan Johnson wanted to subvert expectations of what you get in a Star Wars film. And the fans and the audience want to go to a Star Wars film for things that you see in a Star Wars film. And the way that Ryan Johnson subverted the expectations didn't feel like he was subverting them to please fans. It felt like he was doing it in a cruel way. Mm-hmm. It felt like he was like tricking you when you walked into the theater like, oh, you thought you were going to get Star Wars? Well, I'm taking everything you love about Star Wars and I'm twisting it and I'm flipping it and I'm making it so unenjoyable. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's it's um th- this could have subverted expectations and still been an intriguing look into Star Wars like we haven't before. Like in some ways, the deconstruction of the mythos and the Jedi and everything that came before this one, I do find a little bit fascinating that that is what's inside Ryan Johnson's brain when it comes to Star Wars, but I don't want to see that. Th- th- this movie felt like a kid coming up to me during elementary school telling me how he thinks he could make Star Wars better because he's so intellectual and has this philo- philosophical idea, and you just want to push the kid down and pelt him with rocks because he's just <laughs> annoying, and you already have this thing that you love. Don't ruin it. And so I I, I don't hate The Last Jedi, but I don't like it. And I think I, I can see where all of your anger comes from because yeah. it does so many things that it just shouldn't have done. Yeah. I mean, let me just say this. I'm all for let's try something different, but there's a big difference, but the, I loved how you use the word cruel. And that's a great way to describe it because it was for lack of better term, literally a case where the director is like, let me fuck with you just to fuck with you. And like, mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's not in a fun way or a like and again um you know to be fair i uh, it's star wars and part of me my childhood wants to see certain things and when i didn't get them i was upset so that maybe says something about you know my take on it and why i may you know i may have kind of a fuzzy lens on it but 
in my personal opinion, it just, I don't know. I just, something about it did not feel, did not feel right, you know, in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's, it's one of those movies where it's like, why did you make all these decisions? And like, there are things in it that don't go anywhere. Like Rose and Finn's whole, like, animal adventure on the casino planet they're looking for someone for something that never even comes into play it never yeah. even matters like in empire strikes back han and leia and c-3po and, and chewbacca they're going somewhere like they go on all these like like pit stops and side adventures in the b story but they're heading somewhere and they get to that destination and it has a payoff there's very little payoffs in the last Jedi. And like I said, it just it just takes Star Wars and it makes it into something that isn't Star Wars. It, it's like if you made a Jurassic Park movie and instead of dinosaurs you focused on bugs. Oh, wait. That that did happen. <laughs> so, but yeah, you, you know what I mean? I know I'm, like, stepping, I'm stepping on Luke's toes there a little bit, but <laughs> no, you're good. Yes, um, you are. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I mean, end of the day, if you if you have all these storylines and subplots that don't go anywhere, it, it just feels like a waste of time. And I, the last thing I want to do is walk into a movie and feel like I and say I could have been doing something different or watching something different. But I just totally that's like what two something hours of my life that I'm never going to get back. Two and, and a half is the longest. Two and a half. Movie. Okay, thank you. It's the longest one, and it's, ever made. and it's the longest on top of that. So yeah, Last Jedi. Not, uh, it's my least favorite Star Wars. It's probably my least favorite Star Wars as well, to be honest with you. I haven't watched it in many years, and I watched many other Star Wars movies before it. Same here. <laughs> Can't relate. Yeah, but it's all good. I haven't seen The Last Jedi in a while, so I need to, I need to rewatch it and get a little refresher on it. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm glad you like it, man. I'm really am. Yeah. All well, right. Good for you. <laughs> well, we'll like there. All righty, Zach, looping back to you. What do we got for your next pick? The Amazing Spider-Man. Um, okay, so this came out in 2012. So I was 13 years old and loved Spider-Man. So anything you put on the screen, I was going to love. And I did love this movie when it came out in theaters. And, and, and this is also Spider-Man off of Tobey Maguire. And at the time, that's all we had, was Sam Raimi's vision of, of Spider-Man. So. This was during the era of like, you know, Batman Begins and Dark Knight had just come out and superhero movies were starting to get a little bit more grounded with Iron Man, a little bit more gritty and, and darker. So this came out around that era when they were doing that with superhero movies. And when it came out, there wasn't really, besides, as mentioned before, Raimi movies, there wasn't much to compare it to. But since then, we've gotten many, many more uh, Spider-Man movies. And this is a Spider-Man movie that, looking back on it, I do not enjoy all that much. I think the origin story is completely botched. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I really don't like the way that they went about with the origin story. Uh, with Peter Parker and, and Uncle Ben, the words of, well, they don't even say great power, great responsibility. They say, uh, <laughs> if you have the ability to help other people, then you have the obligation to do those things. To do those That's things. What <laughs> and it's like this wordy long <laughs> thing that you're like... It's like this wordy long thing that you're like, that's not that's that's in one ear and out the other for Peter, and and it's it's it doesn't feel like it lands with him. Uh, the way that they handle Uncle Ben's death, I think, is very clumsy because 
it makes him look like an idiot in his final moments when he goes for the gun. It's like, what are you doing, you old man? You old fart? Get get away from that man. And um, then then like Peter's supposed to feel this tremendous amount of guilt, but it's like I I don't think that you justify feeling that because he was the one who was the idiot. And Peter goes for for looking for Uncle Ben's killer for like five minutes, and then he falls in love with uh, Emma Stone and stops. And then that whole thing is just done. I, I will tell you right now that if Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone were not in this movie and we did not have the chemistry of those two actors to go off of, I would hate this movie. I I don't like the color grading. It's Spider-Man, and you put him in this gray, dull world. <laughs> like, what are you doing? It's Spider-Man. It's colors. Colorful. It's it's weird. Like, that's something that the Amazing Spider-Man 2 corrected brilliantly, is it's way more colorful. It's way more Spider-Man, cart, like, comic book feely. This one feels so miserable. And everyone's just miserable. And Peter's just miserable and angsty. And, and it, it the, the only thing that really um, holds my attention throughout the entire movie is how great Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone are together as Gwen and Peter. Like that is where they nail it because Mark Reb came off of uh, 500 Days of Summer. So he knows how to do the romance. He knows how to find that chemistry. So that's the best part. Of the, the lizard is a doof. Uh, the lizard's uh, motivation makes no st- he doesn't even have a motivation uh, he's just wants to make the the world into lizards and he's gone psychotic and we don't even get to see the journey of that he just has uh, he's terribly written he's a terrible villain I think this is a bad Spider-Man story I think this is a bad Spider-Man origin story um, and I didn't feel that strongly about it when I watched it as a kid because it was just another Spider-Man movie but now that I have the Raimi wants to reflect on the across the spider-verse and into the spider-verse and tom holland movies and 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 all that stuff uh this one falls way 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 low in my ranking of spider-man and uh, just my opinion on it has completely 180 i don't like it very much at all oh yeah it's i'm if if there's just some here's the thing if there's just a movie out there that i can just say is just there that it just exists this one mm. like it's it's there yeah dude yeah, i there. understand every single one of your frustrations for sure i while i personally don't hate 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 this film i think overall while i do really like andrew garfield as spider-man i feel like that's the main thing going for both of these films and i do uh i do really enjoy emma stone and their chemistry and whatnot like you said but I mean, the villains in the in both of the movies. Honestly, I don't care for the villains. I don't care for the stories. You're absolutely right about the color grading in in this film in particular. I just think it looks very schluck. And yeah. <laughs> and and versus two, you're right. It's a very hyperly colorful film for sure. But yeah, this one, I I don't know what the hell they were thinking with the color grading on this one. Um, yeah, I'm, I can't say I love this one, you know, very much, um, but neither can I say that about either of them. They're, I think they're fine, but like Luke says, like, I kind of forget about them. And I think about Andrew Garfield, honestly, outside of these movies and in No Way Home is when I think about him. Yeah. Uh, I don't think about, oh, his role in The Amazing Spider-Man. Like, it's weird. I almost separate him from the films in a way. Right. It is watchable though. Like my wife loves this one. So I've I've put it on a couple times. And like I can sit through it. It's watchable, but I definitely I don't love it and I don't like it very much. Yeah. 
yeah, I just but if I were speaking on Amazing Spider-Man 2, which by the way, if you guys don't know, I don't like that movie at all. But that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually do like Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, I think it's a way more enjoyable Spider-Man comic book rush than this one is. The Amazing Spider-Man films both they 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 offer so much discussion because they are such polarized movies, both of them, honestly. Yeah. I like two more though now because of Andrew Garfield in No Way Home. I feel like there's a little bit more um satisfaction with like him catching MJ and everything to what happens at the end of two. And now I just look at two as like a fun multiverse story yeah, within yeah. this whole Marvel multiverse thing. So I that has retrospectively made me like uh Spider Man or Amazing Spider Man two a little bit more. Yeah. Fair, fair. All right. Yeah. The Amazing Spider-Man, the first one at least. All righty, Luke, you are up. This one I know is going to break some artsy film fans and also Fritzky's heart. But I don't like this movie. It's Red Rocket. I do not like this movie. And the first time I saw it, I like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like, I liked this movie there was nothing really much about it to make me say that i loved it there were things about it that i liked i mean simon rex in the film simon rex is terrific like i will give the film that he is amazing in the film and sean baker's direction i thought was really good the cinematography is great but oh my god the romance that he builds with this teenage girl at a donut shop was so creepy that I just could not get into it. And also a lot of the comedy in the film does not hit. It's very much so an unfunny movie. The dramatic stuff of the parts of the film, I think really work. The comedy just does not. The comedy is what really bogs this movie down because it's just not funny. And the way that it's written just and there's just so many subplots just thrown at you for no reason. And it's like, well, what's the point of this? There's there's no buildup. There's no intrigue to it. So if I want to just call for a movie that I don't think really adds any value for where it goes within story, within comedy, or anything like that, or the, or the subject that it's trying to do, this one because look if if you say it's a sat if, if it's a satire which i don't really see what is satirical about this film fine but again the romance in this film was creepy like so i i, I just could not get into this again liked it at first <sighs> this film's just gotten worse for me yeah, yeah not, not a I've movie for me it. So I will say, honestly, your claims are fair and I'll say why. So first of all, with the romance, while I don't think the movie is because first of all, the guy's a very unlikable character. And I am, by the way, as Luke mentioned, I am a fan of this film, but I can kind of add on to what he's saying. I do. Uh, the main protagonist is a very unlikable guy, but when it comes to the romance element that gets added a little later, I'm not, I do not think that the film is trying to 
romanticize the romance uh, or chemistry between the two characters. But I do understand why it's nonetheless, why it does come across very creepy because it absolutely does. And I think it's just another added reason to not like the main protagonist or why he's un- an unlikable guy. But I think that's kind of where it's one of those movies where it's almost a guy that's just so over the top. You genuinely can't even look at him where it's like almost weirdly enjoyable. And that's how I feel about red rocket. Um, I'm not advocating or supporting the, you know, the big age difference in the film at all. I think I also think it's really gross, but I like the film more for the screenplay and I, you know, the humor, as Luke said, doesn't hundred percent work for him. Personally, I disagree. I do. I do think the movie is pretty funny, but I, I can't blame someone for not liking it though. It, it's very subjective humor. If there ever once was some, and I will say this is not uh, the Florida project is my favorite Sean Baker film. This one is pretty right up it, but I do prefer the Florida project. I honestly just thought that the Florida project was more clever with the subject that they were poking at. Like this film, like it tries to be clever. Like I'll give it that it tries to be clever, but it just comes off very kind of, I don't know how, I don't know if I, I don't know how to say this, but kind of sexist in my opinion. Hmm. Interesting. Because it's because of the fact that spoiler warning, everybody, he falls in love with, with a, with a girl that's like, way under his age i think they might say that in the plot synopsis somewhere so i I think you're probably okay yeah but he falls in love with a girl that is way under his age so that's if you do that in a film and you and you don't do it in such a clever manner that's a no for me yeah no i get it you just you know it personally you didn't find it to be all that clever and didn't work for you it's completely fair you know, and I'm as a fan of the movie, I 100% understand where you're coming from. It's a movie I can't, I genuinely do not think it would be right of me to bash anyone for, <laughs> for not enjoying a film in general, but let alone this one. This one very much so is not for everyone. I, I, even it's, though it's I feel not. like, while I feel like most like it, I, I have to say, even then, I can, I, you know, I understand people who don't like it where they're coming from. Absolutely. I, I, I see you there. Yeah. So, yeah. No, you know, but it is what it is, though. All yes. righty. Moving, <laughs> moving on to mine. I got Spiral from the Book of Saw. This is a film that... So, first of all, let me preface by saying I am a pretty big fan of the Saw franchise. It's probably... Oof, it gets kind of hard, but it's between Halloween, Evil Dead, and Saw. Those are my big three favorites. Now, with Saw, I think there's some really heavy hitters, but there are admittedly a couple pretty big misses. Now, I weirdly, I I don't know if it's just because I disliked the previous entry, which was Jigsaw. Uh, I don't know if it's just because I so strongly disliked that one when I first watched it. I just thought it had so many problems. thought it was boring. I hated the plot twist at the end. And I was so desperate for something, uh, a breath of fresh air for the franchise. And I did not like what Jigsaw was trying to give us 
uh, with that. So Spiral came out, and even now I can still say it is admittedly pretty different compared to the rest of the series. It definitely tries for, you know, some different things. And I thought it was really interesting that not only are we kind of bringing in a different storyline, but we're also having my man Chris Rock here be the main lead. Well, as bad as I, well, okay, let me say this. When I first watched it, I did like it. I thought, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was entertaining. But as time has gone on, oh, I only had seen this film once prior hand to me revisiting the series in preparation for Saw X last year. And this one probably held up the least for me. I went from thinking it was pretty good to borderline despising this movie. I want Chris Rock to work in a dramatic role so bad, but some of his punchlines are so irritating for this kind of film. It's Chris Rock, so what do you expect? So I guess I shouldn't be that angry about it. But nonetheless, I guess it's just because I wanted to see him pull off a more serious role. And he has a couple of moments. But it's almost like one of those things where you know how they say, and funny enough, Samuel Jackson was the example I was going to use. He's also in this movie. Uh, Samuel Jackson a lot of times plays himself in a lot of films where he gets casted in, like he's literally just, you know, he's casted to say motherfucker, whatever. Like, you know, he has his little tropes. He does or Seth Rogen, you know, gets that a lot. Um, with Chris rock, it, it's kind of like that. He's just, it's almost like he's a little kid that is in the timeout corner and he's just, you know, waiting for the right moment to break free until you can't hold him down anymore. And he just throws a stupid punchline out. And that's how I felt like watching this movie. Like he's just, he's, he's ready to do it. He's ready to do it. And then there it is stupid punchline. Um, I don't think he handled this kind of role that well, in my opinion. I also don't think, I mean, some of the kills are okay, but none of them blow my skirt up. Like some of the other kills throughout the franchise at all. And, Oh, uh, the ending in t to me as well is incredibly underwhelming. I just, I don't know, guys. It's a frustrating movie. I, I, I do not love it like I used to. Mm. I liked when Will Smith slapped him. Was this, <laughs> was this the one, or was that? Was I watching something no, else? Uh, no, that's else. Part, what you mean? <laughs> <laughs> but I can, Frisky. I can certainly understand why you don't like this film. This was one of those films that I liked at first, but. I was thinking about put, putting on putting this on the list of films that have grown on me because I've actually come around to really enjoying this movie. I really enjoy this film as kind of a sauce spinoff. Like I don't look at it like as a direct follow up to any of the saw movies. Mm. I look at this film as a morally like a, I would morally say a spinoff of the first film because the first film is morally the detective side of the story, and that's the exact same thing with this film. And that's what I really liked about this one is focusing on the detective side of the story on how how difficult it is for them to solve this kind of case of, yeah. of people that are constantly being killed through traps. And it's a a guy that legitimately is just like just going after these people. Like Yeah. But I will admit. 
I will admit that Saw X definitely put this film to shame because of how much better, like not only how much better it was than this film, but also that it's a much better character study. Absolutely. I think out of the next generation of Saw films, Saw X is without a doubt the best one. It's not even a competition. No way. I don't think Jigsaw nor Spiral have shit on this movie. Uh, or on Saw X, should I say. But, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we can definitely talk about that uh, a little later. But <laughs> yeah. moving on. <laughs> All righty. Looping back around to Zach. I think we have, what, one more for this category, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, my third one is The Lion King from 2019. Okay. Um, I, I had a great time with this in the theaters. I went with my whole family. Um, and I was really mesmerized by the computer generated images that they were able to do. Uh, that's CGI for those of you who don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, that, like the CGI <laughs> I thought was great. <laughs> no, the CGI was great. The CGI was honestly like a game changer when you saw this in theaters. I couldn't believe what they were able to pull off. And I thought the songs were kind of nice. And it was a copy and paste of The Lion King. So I just felt like I liked Lion King. So I liked this one. Like the story was there. The characters were the same. It was just live action. I thought it was a very cool experiment and a companion piece to the original animated one that, you know, this is where animation was in the 90s. Now look at how much we came in 2019. Like to show that back to back to my kids one day, I think will be pretty cool. I'm kind of mind blowing. but. Aside from the theater experience, this is not a fun one to put on at home. Uh, it loses a lot of energy from the original one being uh, not in the same animated format. Uh, the songs are bland, uh, especially like the locations, because they make it so realistic that, you know, you can't have a, a lion sliding down a giraffe's neck when it looks so realistic like this. So they just walk through a pond and it's, Woohoo. Uh can't wait to be king indeed. Uh so um, <laughs> <laughs> um there was something about the execution of Mufasa's death that was kind of laughable. I I I don't I don't know why it just made me laugh to see this lion flailing in the air as he fell. It just looked ridiculous. <laughs> okay? just, there there were just moments in the animation that you really see the benefit of what they were able to do with hand drawn and the exaggerated uh facial expressions or just facial expressions in general uh that they were able to do uh because this one couldn't do it so everyone looks <laughs> every line every creature they look bored throughout the entire movie <laughs> so they're not very engaging to watch <laughs> and so i just think that this one as far as a demo for what you can do with CGI nowadays, it's astounding. As far as a compelling retelling of The Lion King, it's dull and it's uh, it it does it did not hold up at a at a at an in home rewatch. Still had a great theater experience with it. Like I look back on that very fondly. I had a great time. My mind was blown. But uh, yeah, I I don't need to watch this ever again. <laughs> In terms of a better version of The Lion King made in contemporary cinema, I go The Northman. I think it's way better. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, I did not see this in the theater. 
funny enough, uh, my family went to go see it and they were like, you got to watch this movie. It was so great. And then I watched it. I was like, this is low key kind of shit. <laughs> I, it loses I, a lot out of the theater. Like, I, And another thing too, how you, you, I mean, you said that the animals look bored. Even uh, James Earl Jones coming back to play Mufasa. You wouldn't think that could possibly go wrong. He sounded like he didn't want to be there. You could just sounded like it. a man who just got a big paycheck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It sounded like he literally just showed up because he needed to, I don't know, do some car maintenance or something, just needed a little extra something, something. But aside from that, like literally there's one, I remember one line I'll never forget that was so laughable was, you know, in the original film, he goes, and even worse, you put Null in danger. And then in this movie, he goes, and even worse, you put Null in danger. It was like, bro. I think they on. just I think they just went to his home when he was sleeping and shook him awake and went, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, we're making a new Lion King. We need you. And he went, everything the light touches. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's how they did his performance. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. No, I'm right there with you, dude. This is not not a strong remake. It's literally just a shot-for-shot well, even then, maybe not really. Um, just forgettable movie. It is a shot for shot of the original. The only thing they add is a couple like bugs scattering around in between the scenes. Other than that, it is a shot for shot remake. If That's you're gonna, yeah. if you're not like okay, if you're gonna remake a movie, add something. And for me, just another layer. Like just the visuals don't do it. That's not enough for me. We got to hear Seth Rogen laugh as Pumbaa. That was the best part of the entire movie. I yes. will admit, <laughs> I will admit that probably that probably is the best part of the movie. Yeah. I, I, yep. I, but yeah. All righty, Mr. Luke, what you got for us? All right. Well, th- again, speaking on uh, movies I just liked when I first saw it, but oh boy, this one's rough. Suicide Squad. Mm-hmm. This movie is rough to watch. Like, and I'm not saying that, you know, as a way of like, oh my God, it's so good, but it's so tough to watch. No, screw you. That's not what I'm thinking. Um, this movie is just rough to sit through because it's honestly the first act of this film, not bad at all. Like the first act of this film I thought was actually the best part of this entire movie. Though you have a good cast with Margot Robbie, Will Smith, Joel Kinnaman, Viola Davis, um, Jai Courtney, and Cara Delevingne, you have a good cast on your hands. But after the first act wraps up, this film just becomes insanely boring. Because all it is, it's just a walk around the city. like, And even then, some of the backstories that we get of these characters during the second and third acts of this film, which just feel like one big gigantic city scene, like I said before, um, they're not done well. They're done in a way where it's like, I need more. Like, I don't just need these small details. You're just like, okay, yeah, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this, here's this. And it's like, oh my god. And the CGI. Don't even get me started on the fucking CGI in this movie. 
It is terrible. Like, okay, let me get the, the look of Killer Croc. Awesome. Like, he looks great in this movie. Um, they won an Oscar for it. That's just makeup, though. Yeah, but for Killer Croc is what I mean. They won an Oscar for the way that Killer Croc looks. Because he's but, all makeup and practical, isn't he? I think so, yeah. But it's, yeah. I mean, and the makeup for the other characters, like uh, Harley Quinn and the Joker, and also Enchantress, were also really good. But the effects that are used in this film, especially in the third act when it came to Enchantress's witchcraft bullshit. Um, yeah, that. <laughs> if you're listening to the audio, Zach's doing the Enchantress dance. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and none of, the, none of the dialogue works in this film. The dialogue, even though there's some chuckles here and there, there are some good chuckles, mainly from Will Smith. Like, I'll, like, I'll give it that. Will Smith, I think, has the best dialogue out of this movie. And also the same thing with uh, Joel Kinnaman. I think Joel Kinnaman and Will Smith, I think, have the best dialogue in the movie. But this was honestly the only time in the entire DCEU that I did not like Harley Quinn. Like, Margot mm. Robbie's great as the character, don't get me wrong. But the way they develop her character, like, they make her, like, legit, like, the most irritating character, like, ever. Thankfully, in stuff like Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad, which, by the way, watch those two. Um, they actually made me care about her. But just with this film, with what they did with Harley Quinn, I thought was just terrible. And the Joker, Jared Leto. Ah! ah, ah. <laughs> I knew ah. that was coming. I knew that was coming. <laughs> Worst Joker performance ever. Like, he is not the Joker. He is... I don't care what Jared Leto says. He went all method with that bullshit. He is not the Joker. No. Okay, I'm done. I'm done talking about this. <laughs> well, so I wanted to ask you just to clarify. So you think with Harley Quinn that the performance is great, but they, uh, like she enters the role well, but you don't like the way they develop the character or her, you know, her uh, arc or, or, you know, anything along those lines. No, it's because of the way that they wrote the dialogue for this film, I thought, or even especially the way to develop her character, I thought was just non-existent to me. Oh, okay. So, yeah, come at me in the comments if you guys are going to be hearing this, but I did not like Harley Quinn in this movie at all. Like, I just thought she was really irritating. Like, but thankfully, it, like I said, in Birds of Prey and The Suicide Squad, she actually was not irritating. She, she was not only funny, I cared. I cared about her. Hmm. So, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that they don't the, yeah. like Harley Quinn in this movie. That's interesting. And I I mean, I've heard plenty of people say they don't like this movie. Yeah. But, <laughs> but I've, it's, I've actually never heard that. Interesting. It's been a minute since I watched it, but I feel like in my memory, her performance is pretty consistent with the rest of them so i don't know maybe i have to go back and check that out yeah, yeah. it's not good but you don't need to honestly <laughs> just save yourself the time just zach if you want my personal suggestion just go watch the suicide squad again and again you just you'll, you'll have a much better time much better time absolutely it's easily a better film it's yeah. yeah and not only is it a much better film it's more fun there's yeah, definitely it, some things about this movie 
that I do like. And I'll probably say that I somewhat enjoy this film more than most probably do. But I to say that it's a like <laughs> to even try to say it's a strong movie, I just yeah, it's it's not. That's, <laughs> yeah, it's not. that's like comparing apples and oranges. Uh, I go oranges, but <laughs> for me, it's watchable. But uh, it has moments, but yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say I like it. I yeah. am a little bit of a Jared Leto defender, though, for his Joker, just because at the time when this came out, you know, we had Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, killed it like to no return. Like right. he was like the definitive Joker. And so where do you go from there, right? You got to do something completely separate. You don't want to be compared to Heath. You don't want to be compared to Nicholson uh, or Mark Hamill on the animated side. And the way that David Ayer, like just like his background with like where he comes from and the way that he was making this movie and kind of like the tone and vibe of it all, I think that he does fit in the world that David Ayer has created. But I I think it was kind of a lose-lose because if he tried to do something like Ethan Nicholson, he would have been completely uh, taken down for it. And by doing something completely different, he had to take a risk. And unfortunately for him, his risk didn't really pay off with audiences, but I respect the risk. And David Ayer is ultimately the director. If he wasn't okay with the performance, he would have changed it. So David Ayer was obviously giving him the green light for this way and, and directing him in this way. So I get, I, I'm a little bit of a defender while not being like, he's awesome. Stop begging on him. <laughs> but like, I, I can see why it's so despised. I don't despise it as much, but yeah, definitely uh, justified in, in the way that it made people react. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I will say the acting absolutely sucks on his end, but I do really actually kind of dig the style and what they were going for i don't think it landed mm -hmm. fully or maybe even not at all just get damaged but, off his forehead like what are you doing <laughs> what are you doing i actually thought like you know the tattoo like i i there's something that's kind of admirable about what they were trying to do uh, obviously joaquin phoenix you know to come uh outbeat him in every single way when we're talking about like you know where to go from there but yeah that being said, uh, I, I almost wonder if you have to dip a little bit to get that to keep uh, that train going. Um, but yeah, there's elements I like about this movie. I really like Will Smith as Deadshot. I I feel like I actually, I hot take. I would actually is it Bloodsport is the lead of the Suicide Squad, right? Idris Elba, yeah. I I would actually prefer if Will Smith was Deadshot as the lead in that movie. I think that would low key be kind of awesome. I, mm -hmm. I I I don't I don't know how controversial that is, but I I like Bloodsport, but Deadshot being the lead would be kind of crazy. Uh, I do like Harley Quinn in this film. Um, I I sure she's a little whiny, but I mean she kind of is whiny in general though. But I understand what Luke is saying. It's a little irritating. Uh, it's just but when it comes to like what they did with their character and whatnot, I, I understand. And Killer Croc looks pretty cool, but I don't know. I I I see where you're coming from though. There's it's more frustrating than it's not. I I, I do agree. But yeah, I won't defend the movie that hard. It, it's crap, <laughs> but <laughs> I find moments that I enjoy in it. 
Interesting that I found another person here who doesn't like think it's the worst movie ever. <laughs> it's not the worst movie ever, it's but really I can not. tell you it doesn't like, get played very often in this house. <laughs> in Luke's defense, it it's not a great movie. So, you know, there is that. No. No, it's 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 not. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think anyone's disagreeing with you there. But alrighty, guys. I think we're on me now. My last one, I believe, of this category. It's going to be St. Maud. Another A24 film in here. So St. Maud, this is a film that I think I was, I was pretty excited for it, especially because I don't think people were, even A24 fans, I, I don't remember everyone buzzing, buzzing, buzzing about this movie. And I was really excited because, you know, it was a smaller release. I didn't even have that many show times or anything. Like it was a really, at least, where I was, it was a pretty limited film in terms of showing and whatnot. So I was like, Oh yes, it's the, I, I was excited for this, you know, new, new gem. Perhaps it could like, it, it, I almost wondered if it was going to go under the radar and end up being something that, you know, I would, you know, talk about, Oh, I got to see this in the theaters while I could and whatnot. And this movie, I, I think it was kind of weird. I remember, I think it was just because I, hype myself up so much about it that I kind of almost believed in that mindset to be how I perceived the film when looking back on it, uh, kind of similarly to Luke with Texas Chainsaw. I've only seen this film once and the more I look back on it, it is an extremely boring movie. It is really slow. I think it's got moments. I think the ending in particular is very scary, but I, it's a pretty slow and dull movie. In my opinion, I, I I don't know. It's, it didn't, it doesn't hold up for me upon meditating on it and pondering about it and whatnot. It, It just does not hold up. I think it's hot take, probably my least favorite a 24 film because I just have this distaste for it at this point. But yeah, I sorry to the defenders of it. I know it's a pretty divisive movie, but it does have its lovers. I uh, sorry to those who enjoy it, but I'm not one of them. I'm not one of them either. Never seen. So, <laughs> but I'll, both times I saw this film, I because I try, I gave this film another try at one point, and my thoughts remained exactly the same. Mm. I thought this. Look, I know this is A24, and I know they're best known for their original stuff and all that. I thought this one was painfully generic. Like, because I thought every single element they use in this film, when it came to other Exorcist stuff, I've seen it all before. Even stylistically... I like you see influences. I mean, you can even tell kind of by the poster that there there's, there's some carry influence in there, even a little bit like, and especially with possession exorcist films, you've, you've seen, I don't know. It just, it didn't offer a whole lot in terms of story. There's things about it that it does try to do, but insanely memorable. No, this one is extremely forgettable. It is. There's, there's nothing really about it that, like, besides the ending that I would even say is morally memorable. Yeah. The, when I think about the movie, what's the only thing you remember about it? 
The ending. The ending. <laughs> yes, because the ending is this kind poster. of awesome. Wait, what's that, Zach? This poster. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, right. <laughs> That's all that Zach has to go off here. <laughs> but yeah, like the ending, that last frame, even the last scene, I'll make the extent of saying that. Even that, though, kind of took a little while to get to and even kind of dragged out a little longer than it needed to. But that being said, yeah, the ending is great, but I, as a whole picture, it's extremely forgettable. Not for me, but it's not good. But yeah, alrighty, guys. Well, I think that's enough negativity for one day. So now we're going to move on to the next half of our show here, where we have didn't work at first, but it does now, at least for so said individual. So let's look back to Zach. Zach Milne, what is the first one you got for this one? Attack of the Clones, Star Wars Episode Two. Um, so I I went on my phase where I watched like Chris Duckman and Jeremy Johns and all these guys who crapped all over the prequels, and I just kind of took their opinion of like, yeah, the prequels suck, but I, I like the third one, but the prequels suck. Um, but then I started, I, I had a, a day or something it might have been after the force awakens came out i can't really remember but i watched all the prequels again for like the first time in a very long time and attack of the clones kind of stuck out to me because it has many 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 flaws but the concepts and the story of it all break through those flaws for me that i can see what they're trying to do to the point where i like the story um even if i have to dig through all the crap that's surrounding it like i think that the idea of anakin growing up in this jedi society where he's told he's the chosen one and then he's being restricted and limited in what he can do causing this frustration towards jedi council and his master i think that's a really intriguing character uh character story for him as well as now he's fallen in love but this council that's already limited him and his powers is now limiting him in his love and i find that story really compelling and then you got um you know him him falling in love while also going down a darker path and then his mother dies in his arms and 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 it's 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 just such a good story that it, it does suck that it's so executed out so poorly like the acting's not great, absolutely. Hayden Christensen doesn't always have great moments, and the way that he plays it, the way that George directed him is how I like to say it, um, is yeah. very, very poor. There's some fun uh, lightsaber battles, though. I like the Genonosis uh, sequence with all the Jedi. And, and yeah, every person that says that this one sucks and that it's a bad movie, it absolutely is. But I also find it to be really unique in the star wars saga it's a very unique story it's a very different story than the star wars saga gives us we don't get very many like legit love stories even if it's not the most um be oh, not beautiful the most uh the chemistry isn't the best in this love story but it's just one of those rare movies for me where the ideas and the concepts are just so strong that I can look past all the flaws and see what is there. And I, I enjoy it. I think that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah. 
That's fine. Yeah. I just can't re- relate to that all that much, but I'm just again, that's as far as I'm go- that's as far as I'm going to go. Yeah. But. Fair. I I do not hate this movie. I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's a little slow. Admittedly, this is probably yep. has uh in episode one, I, I while I do enjoy a lot about episode episodes one and two, admittedly, those are probably the two Star Wars films where I think the pacing is not the greatest, but, um, well, episode eight as well, but we already talked about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember the prequels, even when I was a kid, I remember like, why is this movie taking so long to get anywhere? Like I, I just even, <laughs> even back then feeling that I was like, I shouldn't be feeling like this about a star Wars movie, but when the, the hit, the hit moments do hit. Uh, I love all the clone war stuff. Uh, Django Fett. I really like uh, a lot. Him and his Obi-Wan sequence, I think are kind of great. And the lightsaber fight. I mean, count Dookie, come on versus Yoda. <laughs> gotta love it. That's gotta love fun. it. Come That's on. pretty fun. Let's go. It's interesting, though, what you brought up about his uh, the different storylines that we get to see in this film when it comes to Anakin's leading into the dark side, because we don't overly overly like when it comes to the romance and, you know, that scene with his mother is very tragic. You're starting to see where it's going and you're Mm. like it's just around the corner we know by the next film things are just gonna go all out right and this is kind of like the film that really does walk the line right before that again it's not the best movie there's some things about it that are very silly some things that did not age well especially the acting as you mentioned but i think this movie is okay it's not my favorite but i personally do not hate this film at all let the record show that it's not my favorite either uh <laughs> i was not saying that that was my favorite no um but no the biggest blunder of this movie is honestly there's only one scene at the beginning of the film where you see anakin and palpatine together and palpatine tells him that like he'll always support him or whatever there's one scene of him and palpatine together when the next movie the the the, the whole foundation of him turning bad is his relationship with palpatine that's literally and, the whole plot, yeah. Yeah, and they have one scene to establish their relationship in this middle chapter. It's bonkers. It's crazy. Uh, but everybody knows it's Palpatine. That's one of the things about the prequels that I thought was so stupid is the way that George was trying to hide the fact that um, that Palpatine, what are they? What is what is his name? Sidious or something? He was like yeah, Darth Sidious. Yeah, whatever. Darth Sidious. Like, they're they're trying to find this Darth Sidious throughout the entire prequel trilogy and george sets it up like we're not supposed to know that that's going to become the emperor of course that's going to become the emperor it's the same actor (laughs) why are you trying to hide it from the audience we know the only way i could see that working is if someone literally has no knowledge about star wars yeah which is what he was i think he was trying to do because he wants you to watch episode one through six that's how he wants you to watch them but for the audience that we're going to this we knew (laughs) And it to be fair, I uh, I actually prefer watching four, five, six than one, two, three. Personally, me too. I think yeah. things come around full circle at the end of Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, very true. But anyways, yeah, um, I don't hate this one anymore. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> glad I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it took me a little while to get on this one too. But all righty, 
Mr. Ponzo, hit us. This one will never, this one will never make Fritzky happy, and I'm pretty sure he was happy by the time I texted it. It's Eraserhead. Yeah. Let me. Okay, so let me be real bit with you. This was when I was starting to get into to start diving into David Lynch's filmography because the only one I had seen by the time is The Elephant Man, which I thought was a excellent film. Depressing as hell, but it's great. Um, so I watched um, his version of Dune, which obviously was studio interference. That movie is bullshit. I don't know why it exists. Um, so then I came around to this one. After I watched this one, I was extremely puzzled because I was like, what the hell was that? And I wasn't saying that like it was strange or anything like that. The film bored me like because it was like, well, nothing's happening. And then this is one of those films that I liken to Shutter Island in some ways where it's like it's a movie that requires a second viewing if you didn't like it the first time because you're basically in the head of this character that you know nothing about as soon as you go into it. But then once you know this character more and more as time goes on, not only does it become more interesting, it can actually become frightening. And the way that David Lynch tackles that kind of thing, I really, really think. And plus, this was his feature film debut for crying out loud. So... This was definitely, I'm not upset in the slightest with how good this film was, like on a rewatch, because first time I was just, what? It was the same, it was the same night I watched Blue Velvet, and that was the much better film in my book before, but now I think that, now I think that this film was better in just about every way. Ooh. It's great. Still got a little bit of issues with it. I still think the film runs a little bit too slow, and I really wish they could have delved deeper into this character just a little bit more because there were some things that they just leave on the they just leave on the floor. That's like, what? No, 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 no. Don't don't leave that there. And it's so. Yeah. Other than those little nitpicks, this is a great film. I'm glad you came around to it. Interesting. But now you prefer it to blue velvet. That's I, that's interesting uh, to hear. I never thought I would say that in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Even especially yeah. since I started now getting into David Lynch, thanks to this guy. Um, after watching um, lost highway and Mulholland drive for the first time, which are now amongst my favorite films of all time. They're incredible. And so yeah, David Lynch is he's a strange guy. I can just say that for sure, but he's made some he's made some unforgettable films and Eraserhead is among those. Yeah. I mean, talk about a crazy for your first time ever making a full-length film. Uh I films like this and Reservoir Dogs are kind of the reason why I say I can understand why some people, their first film is not great, but when you have examples like this, it shows that that first time excuse can only go so far because you have a great concept that you execute well and originally and just 
true to yourself, you can absolutely pull it off, even if it's your first attempt. And for a lot of people, this is their favorite David Lynch film. Even having seen them all and being a fan of the rest, this is still a lot of people's favorites. This was Stanley Kubrick's favorite movie of all time. So that probably says something there. And yeah, this movie is terrifying. Like you mentioned, it's uh, David Lynch is a weird director because not all of his films are straightforward horror films, but they are definitely, they all have very frightening moments. Like I wouldn't call they have like, they do it in a way where it's like, um, he does it in a way like not only to, because if you look at the characters in any of his films, like look at them from the poster, normal they look like normal people do they no they're not like yeah well i think his hair is a little crazy but <laughs> crazy hair but crazy hair but that doesn't mean shit um that me like so what i'm trying to get at is david lynch can make ordinary looking people to be not only sometimes like to be the worst people on planet earth that you would absolutely despise or even the or, but even the creepiest people Oh, yeah. that you can possibly imagine and Eraserhead I felt like was the perfect example of that like sh- like showing that this ordinary looking guy can be a really creepy motherfucker and he god dude this this movie something right here for sure and by uh and when you were saying about how uh well going kind of back to the horror thing this one is one of his more it's still even then an unconventional one, but it's one of the more straightforward horror films in his filmography. But yeah, but what's even more frightening about it is when you put into the context that this movie, he made out of his fear of becoming a dad and out of the fear of when he was living in Philadelphia at the time, just being afraid of the dangers around him and his environment and whatnot. And you put both of those together and you get a very psychologically traumatizing movie like this, <laughs> but yes, <laughs> it's an art house classic. It is a midnight. It's one of the pioneers of the midnight movie scene. It's, this is a banger. Great. It's, it's phenomenal. So, yeah. All right. So I guess we're on me now, huh? So yep. my let's get into American psycho. I wanted to start with this one because I think out of my three, this is probably going to be the one that might surprise a lot of people the most. Well, to an extent perhaps, but yeah, American psycho. I went into this movie with the wrong lens. Looking on the poster or judging it based off the poster alone and probably what you've heard about the film I was expecting it to be more of a straightforward slasher movie. And I was not expecting it to be honestly not. It's definitely a horror movie and deserves to be in the same breath as other horror films, but it's much more of a satirical dark comedy. Very much more of one. It definitely has it very strong spooky moments, but it, I think it deserves, when we're talking about genre-wise, I hate to box things, but I'm going to do it anyway. I would say dark comedy first and then horror. Or, you know, horror comedy, whatnot. Because this movie is fucking hilarious. 
but <laughs> but the thing is i i wasn't ready for that and it took not just two but probably three or even four watches before i fully understood what this movie was trying to do because it is not at all uh a traditional slasher film whatsoever. In fact, I'm not even sure if I would call it a slasher film, even remotely. <laughs> it's got slasher kills, but it's not really remotely like a straightforward slasher. No. And I'm not even sure if I even like, I, I definitely could not talk about this film in the same conversation as Halloween or nightmare on Elm street or Friday the 13th or any of those, because it's so different than any of those films. It's much more of a comedy. And when I, started to understand not only the artistic vision behind the film, but also like kind of started to more analyze the jokes and look at it more from uh, an analytical lens. When it came to me, like, you know, looking a little further into the comedy, I was like, wow, this was actually not at all what I expected, but I'm learning to actually kind of love this. And it is one of my very favorite films now at this point. Nice. I have to return some videotapes. <laughs> I, it's you can't talk about American Psycho with that coming up at least once, right? <laughs> and or I got the book like too. Any, any any good quote. I also have the book for that one too. So yeah, it's right behind me somewhere there. But yeah, alrighty, let's move on back to Zach Milne. What you got? What do I have? Oh, Edward Scissorhands. Yeah, I. Uh... I hated this movie when I watched it. I don't remember when I watched it, to be honest with you. Uh, it was definitely high school. It might have been an, uh, a situation. I don't really like Tim Burton movies. Uh, Tim Burton is someone who, out of his style, the way that he makes his, they're just not for me. I just don't really gel with them. Um, and I found this one incredibly boring when I first watched it. I was like, they just find a man in a castle, they make him give haircuts, and that's it. And I was so bored <laughs> when I watched it in high school. And I really, I just, it did not gel with me. I didn't get it. Maybe, maybe not, not that I didn't get it, because I hate when people say that. But at the moment of time, I didn't appreciate it. Let's put it that way. And then actually, just like a couple months ago, I was at my in-law's. And uh, they decided to put this on. And I was like, oh, great. Here we go. Got to sit through this again. And uh, I think it's just like with maturity. And, and I've seen more movies and I've learned more about filmmaking since I've watched this. And so the viewing that I watched at my in-laws was like a completely new experience. Um, I actually really got into like the almost fairy tale like story that this is. I really found Johnny Depp's performance as Edward Scissorhands to be very sympathetic. Uh, I thought they made the character with a lot of empathy and they do a lot to make you care about him. I didn't like the romance story between him and Renona Ryder. When I first watched it, I thought it was very shallow and it was just kind of forced in there. It didn't bother me as much this time because I did look at it as this like fairy tale type story. So I didn't like, oh, they didn't even have like a date or anything. Like I, I didn't go in it with that thinking. It was just like, oh, fairy tale uh, lovers meant to be type thing. You just kind of have to go with it. Sometimes that's hard for me to do with romances if there's if there's no build to the uh, romance. But it, I, 
with this last viewing, I just kind of accepted it and went with it. And I thought that it like I didn't remember how it ended. And the ending is so beautiful with like the snow falling and she dances in the snow. And the last time she danced in the snow was with him making the ice sculpture. There was there was something about it that just hit differently for me when I watched it at my in-laws. And yeah, it, it had been a number of years before I since I had watched it. And it was just like I had never watched it before when I watched it this last time around. I actually really enjoyed it. And I was very surprised. <laughs> I'm glad you came around to it. Uh, Tim Burton, it's kind of funny because, I mean, I will always salute the man because the Nightmare Before Christmas is what got me into the art of filmmaking, not just movie loving but yeah, Henry Selleck directed that one. Well, correct though. He did come up with the story though. Yeah. Originated from the poem and he was also a producer. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, so I will always salute him, you know, as, as a creator, as an artist, when not admittedly the second half of his career gets a little iffy to say the least though. And even some of the begin uh, beginning works aren't my favorite. Though, when it comes to his uh, films like Edward Scissorhands, I mean, this is a great movie. And you're right. I kind of forgot about that ending up until you just brought it up. It's a really heartwarming ending. Talk about things coming back around, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's 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 actually a really gorgeous film. Uh, beautiful, beautiful film. But, alrighty. Mr. Luke. What you got? To kind of piggyback off what Zach said about a film that I absolutely hated the first time, but hearing theories and rewatching it at the actual right time that I was supposed to, I now love it. It is Skin of Rank. Whoa. Who thought who saw this coming, right? <laughs> yeah. If you guys saw if you guys if you guys saw this one coming, um, I'm just gonna say you're smoking crack. Um like legitimately. But Besides the point, this is a film that is very much so analogical horror. Because, because honestly, the first time I watched this film, I was so unbelievably bored because of the fact that of it's just shots thrown all over the place that don't really have any rhyme or reason to them. But also, I didn't feel like I was in the right mood first the first time I watched this movie. The second time I watched this film was I mean I watched it completely in the dark the first time too but I just didn't get that feeling the second time I watched it I got that feeling and it really gets under your skin like even with some of the shots that Kyle Edward Ball the director of this film really he like he brings even some of the most simplest shots in a film like this and even can still make it as creepy as it is to the audience and if you watch this film extremely late at night, like say 2 a.m. with all the lights down and no light in sight, you basically would have a much better experience watching this movie because it actually kind of gives you a way not only to be creeped out, but also give you a way to what it feels like waking up in the middle of the night. This is basically Kyle Edward Ball's vision of that. And he was a YouTuber. So... So basically, YouTubers making movies, like, I want to be able to support that. And and this movie was only made for a budget of $15,000. Like, think about how impressive that is. 
and plus he made back million he made back like about a million dollars wow so yeah you, you got so i if you guys were thinking that other that were going to be there were going to be a di- there was going to be a different film from last year that was really going to grow on me I, I you did not see this one coming Oh, I did not. Certainly. I thought it'd be poo and honey. Yes, like you were I've, infamous for this. I've kind of softened on blood and honey, but not in a in the way that you think. It's more like kind of a so bad it's good route. Yeah, like, fair enough. <laughs> like it's, but this film, like, because I feel like what this film really does well is capturing the essence of waking up in the middle of a night, like. Like I said, I think that's what the film does. I think that's the film's greatest strength is doing that. Is there a is there one big problem I have with this movie? Yes, and what might that be? You ask. It's a hundred minutes. It doesn't need to be. Mm. I would say seventy minutes would be fine, but I would morally say twenty minutes would definitely be your best bet because. This is a film that's basically, like I said, all sh- like just shots around the house. Like even it's the most simplest shot, but the noises in the background is what really counts. Mm. The shots don't always count. The sound is what really counts with this film. Mm. So, yeah. So, Skinamarink. I love this movie. I I might have to give this another go because with I remember I felt how you did about the Blair Witch Project the first time I watched it. I watched it probably when I was a little too small to, I mean, I knew the backstory of the film and whatnot, but uh, the making of it, should I say that story? But with Skinnamarink, you know, it, it was kind of a weird thing where it's like, I maybe I just wasn't, like you said, in the right mood or right place, right time, whatever. I was actually pretty excited for this movie but it it didn't fully deliver for me but hearing you talk about it makes me kind of intrigued to give it another go at some point i like, you definitely should and like for anyone watching like if you have not seen this film again take my advice watch it in the middle of the night completely in the dark and you'll get the effect of waking up in the middle of the night so I think for me, the most notable thing about this movie that's so impressive is what it means to indie cinema and indie horror, you know, and it what it uh, where it stands, you know, in the box office and at the in theater and whatnot. Because I mean, to make back that kind of money is freaking mind-boggling crazy, and for such uh, like talk about like a shoestring of a shoestring budget holy smokes and yeah, like i said fifteen thousand dollars like yes was how much it cost to make this thing and yeah compare the two a hundred thousand dollars to fifteen thousand dollars and this one was way better like it was it, yeah and what astonished me though is how many people were actually excited to go see this while I was in the theater. It, it was uh, cause I did see it in the theater with two, but with two buddies <laughs> and it was actually kind of awesome to see the turnout that this movie had. And I had a pretty decently full theater. 
People were excited to see it, but it was the only time I have ever been to a movie where I saw someone walk out. There was a couple that walked out <laughs> and I've never seen that ever, ever in a movie. Uh, I know people do it all the time, but I've actually never witnessed it. I've never done it myself, but I saw it in this one because I think like 30 minutes into it, they were like, yeah, okay. <laughs> or, or maybe the sound was just come, or maybe the sound was just kind of going like white noise and it was irritating them. And again, if you haven't seen it, I beg of you, if, if it's not going to be for you, give it a fair chance. Cause this might, this might, this one might sneak up on you. Yeah, it may, it may. All righty. I guess we're going to me now. My next one I got here is, uh, and I will preface by saying, uh, anyone who knows me knows that I do like American Psycho, but my other two might shock people even more. My next one is Old Boy. Now, this one is in my top five favorite films of all time. And I did not like it at first very much. That's the original or the American remake. This is the original. Okay. Uh, it. this was a movie. I think it, I really picked the most terrible time to watch it because I mean, look at this poster. This poster looks first of all, freaking awesome. I think it's a very hooking poster and it just had this aesthetic and uh, look to it that uh, really captivated me and made me intrigued to check it out. The problem is I watched this movie when I was sick as a dog <laughs> and tip that's going to kind of ruin a lot of first time watches in general. It has the potential to do that, but old boy for anyone who knows, not only are there some really sickening parts in it. And that wasn't even really what did it for me. What more so made me feel that way was it has this very icky green color palette painted over the canvas that probably did not make me feel better at all. <laughs> and I, yeah, I had the flu at the time. I, I had a fever. I was, you know, trying to sweat it out, whatever. Watching old boy was not the most aesthetically uh, nurturing thing in the world to say the least. It, it, it not good, not a good decision. I, but over time, I I thought about the movie and I was thinking to myself, I don't even know what even it was that made me change my mind. But over time, I'm thinking about it and I just found myself. I raised my letterbox score a little up and a little up and a little up, and then I rewatched it. And for anyone who follows me on Letterbox, you know I. I'm very picky about my fives. I'm extremely picky, but that film, it only took one rewatch to jump up from, I think I initially had it at a five out of 10 to now a 10 out of 10, and which is a pretty significant leap. And it has not gone a wee bit down ever since I saw this movie uh, when it was uh, restored to 4k and brought back to the theaters, which was an amazing experience. Definitely in my top three, I'm going to say, uh, cinema experiences of all time. I watched it with my parents and my best friend Valenzuela. 
We had an amazing time and they all loved it. They do not seek out for, I, I don't mean to be the guy who says, oh, they it wouldn't, if it wasn't for me, I'm not going to do that. But I will say they typically are not going to be the ones who seek out foreign cinema on their own. But even then, they were so happy that we had that, uh, that we got to experience that event together because they ended up loving the movie. Valenzuela, it's in his top 20 films of all time. My mom loved it. She loves the soundtracks. It's one of her favorite soundtracks of all time now. And my dad, you know, this film, along with a couple others, very much so inspired many revenge thriller action movies to come, such as John Wick. And, you know, this film is one of the ones that laid the ground zero for movies like that to come. And my dad is a huge John Wick fan, huge action fan in general. And he said, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting that. That was a crazy freaking movie. Um, yeah, an amazing soundtrack, amazing performances. Uh, some of the best cinematography I've honestly ever seen in my life. Great editing all around. It's a masterpiece. One of the most artful films I've ever seen. So, yeah. Literal wow. perfection. Yes, yes, yes. All righty. I think we're on our last ones now. Hit oh, us man, with something go. good, Zach. What you got, my boy? <laughs> Gremlins 2. Also known as Gremlins the New Batch. Um, Alright, so I had never seen Gremlins before and I and I bought the two-pack on Blu-ray. So I watched the first one and I, I wasn't sure what to expect, but I actually really liked the dark humor of it all. I thought I had some cool lore. I liked the monsters. I liked the characters. Totally surprised me. It was a fun 80s creature feature flick. And I'm like, alright, let's do the sequel. And you got dopey scientists and gremlins dancing and, and, and it's like a Looney Tunes on, on steroids. And I was like, what the frick is this? What'd they do to this thing? Like, this is, I was so appalled. I was like, what is, what is going on? This is awful. I can't believe what the, what is going on? Joe Dante thought you made a good film before what made you think this was the way to go uh i just i didn't uh i didn't like it and it was because i was expecting more of the same of the first one anyways i watched it and i was like well that was stupid never watching that again but it it kept kind of gnawing at me and gnawing at me and i was like no why did they make that why is it like that so i just had to do a deep dive i had to search i had to like find out what was going through their brain, what they were smoking when they decided to write this script. And on my journey of, of finding out why this was made, um, the little in jokes and everything, the satire of it all, like I started to kind of like see it through a different lens, through interviews and through what Joe Dante was saying about how like he didn't even want to do a sequel. So he was like, if we're just going to do a sequel. We're going to go back crap crazy with it. So then I then I watched the film again with that lens of like, okay, this isn't the first one. It's a satire comedy. Look at it as as a satire comedy. And all of a sudden it became hilarious to me. And there's so many little things in it that when I did the research became even funnier. They bring in a movie critic to re-review the first Gremlins movie because it's the actual movie critic in real life that gave it a negative review. So they put him in the movie to get him to re-review the first Gremlins and give it a positive review. That is hysterical. That is so funny to me. And the fact that they did that is so funny. Uh, 
yeah, it just be, the humor worked for me on a second rewatch. I really just bought into all the crazy bonkersness of it all. I still prefer Gremlins one over two. I just think is in terms of like an actual movie and story, it's it's better. <laughs> this one is just like if you want to just have a goofy old old time with your friends or. I'm not advocating, but you want to smoke a little something and throw on Gremlins too, then it, it can be a fun time. And yeah, I went from like having my mind completely boggled as to why this was created to appreciating why it was created. And it was a very clever little little stunt pulled by Joe Dante and all of his friends over there who were forced to do this sequel. I I I, I kind of appreciate that part of it as well. To be fair, when it comes to watching this film while you're smoking. I mean, the poster is kind of asking you to do it pretty much. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically telling you to. I've never seen this movie. I've only seen the first one and I do like it, but this actually sounds extremely intriguing to me. I, it's, I mean, I've always like, yeah, it's been on the watch list, but I just admittedly never set the time to watch it. Is this another Christmas film? Nope. No, it's not. All the characters move to New York and it takes place in a New York building. Okay. I will gladly watch it like whenever then if it's it is ridiculous. Like it is absolutely ridiculous. It is there's no there's real no horror aspect to it. Like like the dark humor and the horror that's in the first one. This this doesn't really have any of that in it, but it's just a romp. I I, this actually makes me very intrigued. I would recommend watching it. Like, go in with that mindset that you're not going to get the first film, but I, I do recommend watching it. I love stupid. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's brilliant <laughs> what you said about that critic. That's a great, that is, that's actually, that's hilarious. So it is so funny. Cause when I was watching it, I was like, what? They're, they're, re- they're reviewing the first film in their sequel. Like, that pulls me out of the movie. Like, what are you doing about? But like, when you find the history behind it and who the guy is, it's hilarious. That's awesome. It's funny. That's actually great. No, I, I thank you for co- really convincing me and pushing me to watch it because now I want to. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> I will check it out. All righty. My co-host, what is your last film here? Okay, now let me get this straight. I liked this film the first time I saw it, but then over time beforehand, before I started to grow to like this movie, I started to kind of like it less and less. The rewatches have done it for me. That's The Flash. Yeah. Yes. The Flash. What? Okay. Look, I understand why some people don't like this film because maybe if they're brought on the DCEU, Ezra Miller, all that stuff. But don't say the film sucks because the CGI is terrible because that's just kind of stupid to me. That's one just, thing in the movie. That's just one thing. But. Besides the point, the last time, last couple of times I've watched this film, I have honestly, I've just fallen in love with, with how they decide to execute Barry Allen's journey to basically find a way to bring back his parents. Um, it's really well done. The fact that there were two of them in the film, I actually thought was kind of a unique touch. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I know a lot of people are bothered by that because of Ezra Miller. But, uh, <laughs> I just had to do that because that's people how 
art from the artist people separation please yes but besides the point um i thought the acting was great i thought miller was terrific in the film uh sasha collie besides the fact that she was kind of wasted in the film same thing with general zod um play once again by michael shannon both i thought were great but michael motherfucking keaton was was why i was there to see the film he is great once again as Batman. It was great to see him again. Is the CGI absolute dog shit? Oh, you bet your sweet ass it is. <laughs> it is really, really bad. Like, I don't care if Andy Muschietti says that it was intentional because it's just inexcusable to me. And plus, this film's budget was $300 million for that matter. Yeah. Um, Did a whole bunch of reshoots. And Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom's budget was $200 million. And I don't know about you, but I almost think the CGI in Aquaman is worse than this. Like, Versus something like Godzilla minus one for $15 million, And it looks amazing. And arguably, the the director kind of hinted that it was made for even less than that. Yeah. And it's I like, was, it's like look at the huge freaking difference. I was yeah. less distracted by Aquaman's CGI. The Flash is the CGI is quite distracting at times. I honestly thought that Aquaman's was a little bit more distracting, but again, Fair that's enough. besides the point, and it's our opinions, so don't judge. Um, but yeah, I love this movie, and the action I thought was fantastic. The one-shot sequence uh, with uh, with Supergirl, the the fight sequence um, during the second act, I thought was incredible. It was really well directed. Um, and uh, yeah, you can definitely say that. Within the first thirty minutes, you're if um, you can definitely be cracking a lot of Ezra Miller jokes for sure. Example, like when he has to save babies from a falling hospital, which, by the way, <laughs> god awful CGI. You just want to like, <laughs> step away from the children. <laughs> <laughs> I think five to ten years, this movie gets reevaluated. I really do. I think I, when we're I, more removed from the Ezra Miller stuff, I think there's going to be a newfound appreciation for this movie because, like you said, Luke, I think the CGI is very distracting. I can see why people keep pointing to that because it is the worst aspect of the movie. But there's so much good that if you can just get over the CGI, I think there's a lot of nuggets in here that people are... I, I, I mean, it's all their opinions, all subjective. If they don't like the movie legitimately, then they don't like the movie. But I do think there's nuggets in here that will be discovered further down the line and i do think this movie is going to have some kind of cult following or something i mean me you and i can definitely be considered part of that cult following because uh, we're definitely the leaders <laughs> we're, we're, we're the leaders of the well and mike as well like if you guys don't know mike's reviews and analysis on youtube go check him out um who's also an avid fan of this movie um he actually kind of really got me to to love this movie like mm. honestly even after i rewatched it like so, yeah, like I said, if you can get past Ezra Miller as a person and also the really shitty CGI, I think this is a really good film. And it's, I can also just say it's a good story well told. Like, because, and yes, I can understand that people say that um, it's just copying the Marvel multiverse formula. But here's the thing. This film was in development way longer before um, we even got to any of the multiverse stuff with the MCU. 
That's very yeah. true. And it's not so, playing off of Marvel Multiverse. It's playing off of Flashpoint, which is way before Marvel Multiverse, right? Exactly. Now. Because what is what? Because if because one of the powers that the Flash has, he can go back in time and even spawn the multiverse. Like, like even if like I know it's called Flashpoint, but te- technically speaking, if if we, if I can steal a Marvel term, it is the multiverse. Like. So, so it sounds like I got two people in here who it sounds like from the both is that it's an overhated film. And um, I think, I think so. you, I would definitely say so, but I mean, I could, I wouldn't speak on your end though, Fritzky, because um, I know you weren't there by the time I did the, did the watch yeah. along for this on my channel. I think you would have been at least like, okay on it. Like, yeah. Cause there's at some point, there's a lot I've, of good I've, things about this movie. Like, yeah. At some point I still may check it out. Well, the biggest thing that hurt this movie is all the studios uh, had saying that it's the best comic movie ever made. James Gunn <laughs> said it. Who knows what they paid Tom Cruise to say it? But like all these people were coming out being like, "Oh, it's the best superhero movie ever made. It's the best comic movie yeah, that, ever made." Yeah, and they yeah, the fact that Tom up. Cruise is also the, yeah, that Tom Cruise is also the one that said that Barbie Oppenheimer and Blue Beetle were masterpieces. Did he say Blue Beetle was a masterpiece? I didn't see he that. He loves one. Blue Beetle. I mean, oh, cool. Yeah. Good for Tom. <laughs> but I, I I just I think the whole thing with him coming out in the trades being like, oh, I had to phone the director because it was just so good. I think that was all PR bullcrap. I think they were just trying to hype up this film so so but much. It's just Tom, but you gotta remember though, it's Tom Cruise. So yeah. But it is a really but, good movie. I loved it. It's my top ten of uh last year, which was it, a little bit of a hot take. It was really close to being in my top twenty-five because there's just a lot of good movies I saw last year. This one got cl- this was one of the closest ones that I would say could have made the list, but <sighs> there was just some other ones that I liked more. But yeah, an honorable mention. It's an honorable mention, you know. Re- a really big like it, it's like the closest honorable mention that could be. It's like the it's like one of the ones that's like close to going over the line to actually getting into the list, you know. Yeah, but yeah, I love the Flash. Yeah, so it's kind of awesome to hear that it, how much it's grown on you. It sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm glad it has too. Yeah, and it's one of those films I've gone back to revisit like multiple times. I think I've seen it now four times. Ooh, ooh, nice! I, I've seen it three. All righty, so the Flash, cool, cool, cool. All righty, my number one. I save this one as said for last on purpose because i think most people would be very shocked to hear that i'm talking about this film in this regard when you consider how high up it is for me and how i cannot shut the fuck up about this movie for even a day and that is my fourth favorite film of all time we had number five but now we have number four david lynch's mulholland drive Another David Lynch film. <laughs> Another David Lynch film in the conversation. I can tell you exactly why it was I didn't like this movie. I, this was, plain and simply, my first David Lynch film. And I think this is one of the worst ones to start with. Because while it is one of his best, arguably maybe his objectively best, I... It is his best, by the way. It is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it's it's even then, just because it may be their best work, it doesn't always mean you should start with their most acclaimed thing as a director. Like when you're diving into a filmography, it that doesn't always that's not always the same thing. And such is the case with David Lynch. I think whether it be the Elephant Man, Eraserhead, Blue Velvet, or even start with Twin Peaks. Those are much better places to begin. Mulholland Drive is a very unconventional film. It all of the crit, uh, the criticism and the discourse about David Lynch being very confusing for totally screwing the audience, you know, in and in a not friendly way, as we were kind of talking about earlier on in the stream. It it all deserves to be you can kind of understand where someone's coming from when they talk about this movie because this is not a crowd pleaser film it is not this is very much so an art house movie it's extremely abstract very very out there and i wasn't ready for the way that he did it and i almost I had heard this movie gets put into the same category. I've heard David Lynch obviously being talked about as a horror director, even though, again, like we said, not all of his films are straightforward horror films. I almost wondered if I was expecting more horror than what's actually in the movie, but this isn't really a horror film. It's more of a mystery thriller drama thing if I had to really describe it, but even then, not really. It very much so is its own world, Mulholland Drive is, and it's, I don't know, it just was not a good one to start with. But, you know, what I did was I started back from square one because I still kind of had that interest to still check him out or to check him out. And I started from the beginning with the racer head. And while it took me a little while, like, I mean, I, I wasn't like Luke where I was hindering on if I even liked the film or not. I definitely liked the racer head. I didn't love it as much as I do now, but I was like, oh, that was kind of interesting. And it made me intrigued to check out more. Then I watched Blue Velvet and I loved that. I watched The Elephant Man and I loved that. And after I had dived a little further, uh, probably like four or five films more into it, I come back to Mulholland Drive and now it is my fourth favorite movie of all time. It is my second favorite David Lynch film. And it, it absolutely deserves to be called what is perhaps his objectively best film. Uh, I mean, I think Twin Peaks all around, when you consider all three parts of it, I think that is his magnum opus. But when we're talking about a standalone movie, I think Mulholland Drive, when we're talking about stuff that's not Twin Peaks, absolutely is the best one, in my opinion. But It's, it's a masterpiece. Like... I, I I can come out here and flat out say that Mulholland Drive is a masterpiece. Like, it's... And again, I have to thank you for that there, Frisky. I really do. Oh, you're welcome. Because, um... I was... <laughs> honestly, bro, like, the way that um, my brain was just going places with Lost Highway, oh, this one just met its match. This My brain just went places after this one was over. Like, I yeah. just could not think straight. 
it's a stumper it and that's another thing it's too. trippy like it's, it's really trippy. trippy it's it's very trippy it also is very much so a movie where you really are not gonna fully understand what the fuck is going on the first time like at least not everything there is to know about it you know what i mean it's one of those you have to watch we were talking about movies you got to see more than once you have to see this movie more than once you absolutely have to at least at some point because there is so much that i i remember the second time i watched it there is one scene that i will refuse to give away but happens earlier on in the movie and it's brought back at the end and i'm like oh like it, i had nope. the biggest brain fuck moment ever and <laughs> there's so many things that are even obvious that you totally forget about by the end of the movie and then you watch it again you're like it's oh my gosh no it's a never-ending mystery and i every time i pick the film back up every time i pick the film back up i always pick up on new stuff and i've seen it at least 10 times at this point easily it's i i love this fucking movie it's it, it, if there's a movie out there that deserves to be called a piece of art it's Mulholland drive yep all right cool yeah 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 all righty everyone let's take a little peek here all right and all right cool beans so we have officially made it to the end this was really fun. I I loved just reviewing all of these films is pretty much what we were doing. And everyone was giving their opinions and whatnot. Um, this was a really, really, really fun conversation. And I am very happy, you know, that to be back episode two, whatnot. Now we're going to take a quick little second to go around the room where everyone can say where you, the viewers can find these gentlemen elsewhere. So we're going to start with our guests because we always do. Mr. Zach Milne. Where do I freaking do this? There it is. Tell, <laughs> them, <laughs> tell them where they can find you anywhere you want to give out. Yeah. Uh, well, you can find me obviously on YouTube at my YouTube channel. Zach Milne Talks Movies. You can see it right down there. Boop, there we go. Uh, yeah. So you type in Zach Milne Talks Movies, M-I-L-N-E into the search bar. I'll pop up. Zach Talks Movies works as well. I've got a bunch of videos up, I'm sure. Just look for this face. You'll find me. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Milne Movies. I'm on Letterboxd, Zach Milne Talks Movies. I'm getting a little bit more consistent with posting on there. So uh, definitely check that out. I'm on Instagram. Uh, yeah, just at Zach Milne talks movies all the way around. I got a live show on Wednesdays, breaking down the movie news. We're coming back on January 10th. So definitely look forward to that. I'm looking forward to that. And yeah, a bunch of fun stuff happening on the channel. Definitely going to do more ranking videos this year because I did a couple. I dabbled in that field a little bit last year and I find them to be quite fun to make. So I've got some ideas for more to do this year. So definitely come on over, hang out. And we're trying to hit 4,000 subscribers before the end of the year. So we'd love to have you join us. Let's, Let's go. Let's do it. And yeah, can I just say, if anyone deserves to get to 4,000 subscribers, it is Batman right here because he, uh, I mean, kind. literally, he is like the coolest guy ever. And ever since I actually, I, the way I found out about him is when these two did their top 20 films of all time live stream a long time ago at this point. Yeah. Like already, what, like two years ago now? Beginning of 2022? <laughs> Yeah, that was, that was oh, beginning. Oh my gosh! Yeah, so that's oh my two gosh. years ago. It's probably um, our two-year anniversary, Luke. 
Because I think yeah. that was like I think that was like January second. No, that was actually on New Year's Day. On New Year's was that Day. Really on New Year's Day. Over two wow. years. Wow. Yep. Well, happy Jeez. anniversary, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> two <laughs> years. Look at that. Yes. Uh, yeah. No, he's Zach is literally like one of the coolest guys I know. He's he's awesome. So please follow him on everything that he just said because he he deserves the support. He's awesome. Oh, All right, you, friend. Mr. Ponzo, the co-host. Where are you at? All right. So, of course, you guys can find me on YouTube, Blue Ponto. My name is literally the icon if you guys are watching the video version. Um, on Instagram at Luke Ponto 23. You guys can find me on there. Um, Twitter, Letterboxd, and Serialized at Luke Ponto. I'm also on TikTok and Criticless at Luke the Film Buff. So, you guys can find me on those platforms. Um, as far as content I got coming up, we got the creator watch along on my channel coming up to kick off the 2024 watch along season. And uh, yeah, lots of new f- stuff to come f- come to you. And on Friday on my channel, if you guys are subscribed, um, my Blu-ray collection live stream will be coming here fairly soon. So if you guys love movie reviews, physical media content, watch alongs, all that good stuff. You're in the right place. Come check me out. I'm on my way to hit 600 subscribers. So let's see if we can get there, guys. Woo. They both are at milestones. Let's let's make it happen. Come on. Let's do it. <laughs> but yeah. Um, well, this was a very, very fun episode for everyone who is watching via video format. Please, the best way that you can support this channel as well as the podcast itself is absolutely free. Like, comment, share, and subscribe to the channel. It would really help out the algorithm on YouTube. On Spotify, if you can leave us a rating, that would definitely help us get more out there. Audio options are available. We also are on Amazon now, which is pretty exciting. So yeah, yeah if you could rate us on Spotify and Amazon, where you know we're available as of right now, that would be absolutely fantastic. It, and we do have, we are, I did see we are definitely getting some audio listeners, which is awesome to see and you guys blew the hell up on the support for the first episode too which i was so surprised and excited by the outcome so thank you so much i love y'all bless y'all i'm gonna leave you guys here but i will talk to you guys again soon